0: for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code program.
1: Join Hoda Kotfi for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like... NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie, as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.
2: .com and definitely check out those shows as well. Judy Goldman is the author of Child, a memoir. She's also the author of seven books, three memoirs, two novels and two collections of poetry. Her new memoir Child was named a Katie Couric Must-Read Book for 2022. Actually, it was named that by me. But anyway, her first memoir, Losing My Sister, was a finalist for both SIBA's Memoir of the Year and Forward Review's Memoir of the Year. She received the Sir Walter Raleigh Fiction Award and the Mary Ruffinpool First Fiction Award as well as the top three prizes awarded for the best poetry book by a North Carolinian and Silverfish Review Press's Gerald Cable Prize. She received the Hobson Award for Distinguished Achievement in Arts and Letters, the Fortner Writer and Community Award for Outstanding Generosity to Other Writers and the Larger Community, the Irene Blair Honeycut Lifetime Achievement Award from Central Piedmont Community College, and the Beverly D. Clark Author Award from Queen's University. Her work has appeared in USA Today, Washington Post, Real Simple, Lit Hub, Southern Review, Gettysburg Review, Kenyon Review, Crazy Horse, Ohio Review, Shenandoah, Prairie Schooner, and other and elsewhere. She lives in Charlotte, North Carolina, with her husband. They have two married children and four grandchildren. Okay, so we'll just like jump right into it, Judy. So I got to know you. I think I didn't I reach out to you like randomly, or did you reach out to me after I read your book about? Your husband reached out to me. I did, right? That
1: was my, yes, that was the highlight of that year for oh, me. Oh, stop it! <laughs> <laughs> out of the, really, out of the clear blue sky, you reached out to me, and then I have, uh, and then I, I was afraid that when I saw that mostly you interview. People who have a book coming out, not one that's already been out, I thought, oh, that's not really fair to them because my book's already been out. And so I wrote to Chelsea and said, wouldn't you rather wait till my new book is coming out rather than my old book? Then I was sorry I did that. But (laughs) it all turned out
2: fine, as (laughs) things do. (laughs) You know, to be honest, when I started my podcast, I was asking people who I'd always wanted to talk to, authors who I'd admired for a long time. And it never occurred to me that they wouldn't want to talk unless they had a book coming out. So I found that to be the craziest response when I would get in touch with their publicist. And I'm like, oh, can I interview so-and-so? And And they're like, well,
1: their next book's not due out until blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? (laughs) Well, you know, that's why I was so mad at myself because it wasn't that I wanted to wait. I was afraid that I was deceiving you somehow that I was making you think that that book was new when it wasn't that that's what I explained to Chelsea. It didn't matter to me, but I thought, oh, everybody she's interviewing has a book forthcoming. And I thought, she thinks that my book is forthcoming. No, I no, I it. knew I found it.
2: In, I know I re- I found it in a bookstore and I was like, oh, this looks great. And I started reading it and I was like, oh, I'd love to talk to her. So in my pers- from my perspective, I like talking to authors about their books. I don't care when the books come out, but I have found on the author side, and now actually as an author, like it's so helpful to do things around the release of a book, as you well know, that that's been sort of where this podcast has gone. But I never intended it to be like a pub day podcast. Like, Mm -hmm. so- I don't know. I,
1: if that's interesting, I understand that. Well, I'm happy to talk about any book. It doesn't okay, great. to great. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about
2: child first, cause it's coming. So what is the pub day? And tell me, you know, yeah. Okay.
1: Pub date is May 5th. Okay. So coming up. Exciting. Coming up.
2: So yeah. Judy, in the book, you say I'm 80 years old. It's finally time for me. If I'm not going to tell this story now, when am I going to tell it? Which is, Really impressive on so many fronts because it would be so easy, obviously, just not to tell it. So, and I see why, obviously, now having read it, why it's such a compelling story, why this relationship was so important to you, the story, what you discovered at the end, or like kind of what you put two and two together and realized, and all this stuff. Like, but why? Why had it been ha- sort of ha- not haunting is the wrong word, but why don't you tell listeners a little about what Child is about, Child, and memoir, and Then why why did it swirl around in your head for so long, and and why now, and all that good stuff? That was a lot of questions.
1: Okay, good. So, all right, first I'll tell what it's about. It's the story of Maddie Culp, the Black woman who worked for my family, lived in, that was the term then, helped raise me, the unconscionable scaffolding on which that relationship was built, and the deep love, but it's also the story of Maddie's child who was left behind to be raised by someone else. And I think that when you know what the book is about, you can understand what a risky subject that is. I mean, here I am, a privileged white woman writing about her black maid. I mean, who in the world would do that? (laughs) I mean, I have to be crazy to write a book about that subject. It is so tricky right now. So my hope is that I've examined the subject, that I've explored how it's a lovely relationship in an unlovely context. And why am I writing it now? That's okay. Turning 80 that big number. I mean, it's gigantic to me, but whatever age you are, it's gigantic to you because, you know, I mean, it's the oldest you've ever been. And so (laughs) it's pretty stunning. But when I was approaching 80, I thought, if I don't tell it now, I'm not going to tell it. And I really want to write a book about Maddie. I want to honor her in that way. And that's what it feels like to me. So, And also, I have to say another thing. I am such a slow learner and a late bloomer. I did not learn until I was working on my second memoir. I mean, my sixth book. So I should have learned it before then. I'm not... I'm not trying to impress you with that. I'm trying to say, look how long it took me to learn something. I learned how important reflection is in memoir, interpreting those memories. And once I learned that, my agent really is the one who helped me learn that with my last memoir together that you mentioned to me earlier. Once I learned about reflection, once I learned about analyzing memories, what do I know now that I didn't know then when I was a child? Then I felt I could write this story mm-hmm. because I could give it its due.
2: Interesting. You know, one of the one of the pieces of the story that I found really interesting was the relationship between Maddie and your mom. You know, you you say many times like Yes, of course. I mean, one of, you know, Maddie was working for your mom, but they were also roommates and they shared so much and they shared such a deep love for you, which kind of makes people family, right? People who just mutually love the same person like that and who share a life. I mean, they... They shared a whole life and, and a shorthand for everything. And I don't know, I just, that image you had of the two of them sitting at the table, I feel like you had some image or that they would talk about things or maybe I made that up. I think you had an image, right?
1: Oh, I think you're right. Right? Okay. Yeah. What I love that you just said, I just want to say it to myself so I can remember it. You just call them roommates and that is so perfect. <laughs> I'm going to use that. <laughs> Go for it. Take it. Yeah, Take it. Yeah. But it was an interesting relationship because mother called Maddie, Maddie. Maddie called my mother, Ms. Peggy. Mm-hmm. So it's not even, I mean, my mother paid Maddie to work for her. It was a financial arrangement. So I say that they were best friends because that's what they said, but it throws a little light on that relationship to ask the question: Would they have been best friends if Maddie were not working for my mother, employed by her?
2: Would they have met?
1: Would they have even met? Not then,
2: right? Not it doesn't in the
1: sound 1940s. like it. no. And the
2: town where you were living, there were—I couldn't believe how many segregated places you remember. I mean, for me, this is like ancient history. When I can't believe anybody, it, it, it's like in the history books. This this level of—I know it. I know logically it wasn't that long ago, but
1: that it is, is so like, interesting. What you're saying—it is history to people your age. It absolutely is. And I'm is. not
2: that young. I mean I'm 45.
1: You know. <laughs> You're but 45. Yeah. You're the yeah. age of my two children. Yeah. It was what we accepted as normal, mm-hmm. but it was not normal. You know, I mean, first of all, Maddie was this wonderful cook. So she was famous <laughs> for fried chicken, fried flounder. Squash casserole, biscuits, her invented recipe of pineapple pie. I mean, (laughs) I don't know anybody who makes pineapple pie, right? But so she would make these wonderful meals. And my family, my father, my mother, my brother, sister, and I would sit around the table eating that food. Where was Maddie? She was in the kitchen at the little round table next to the windows eating her dinner alone. And that was okay.
2: Well, you also say how later you would beg her to sit with you and she would refuse and say, no, no, no. Like just, there was nothing you could do to convince her otherwise.
1: Exactly. You know, that, that I think I mentioned this in the book that we don't even understand how deep separation goes
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and how deeply those of us who are separated hold on to that separation as a pattern, as something familiar. We know it. It's okay. It's what we do. So Maddie felt comfortable with that because it's what she knew, Mm -hmm. but that wasn't fair for her to feel comfortable with that.
2: You know, I'm still, I'm still like processing what you wrote in the book and what you, what we were just saying now about loving someone who works for you because I, I, like, we're all people underneath our jobs. Like, I very much love people who have worked for my family or who, like, I love some of the people on my team right now. I really do. I love them. Like, you know, maybe they don't, maybe they don't love me, but like, I certainly love them. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't go both ways, but I, I mean, I feel like I've loved people I've worked for also. So I don't know. I don't know if it's easy to, I don't know if you can separate it just because of the payment structure. I don't know. It's complicated.
1: It's very complicated because here's the difference. The people who work for you, Zibby, the people on your team, choose that life. Maddie had no choices. A young Black woman in the 1940s, uneducated, very little was open to her. She had no choices. And... I think living with my family and working for my family gave her, it didn't, that did not give Maddie choices really, but it gave Maddie choices for her child. It Mm -hmm. meant that her child could go to college. It meant that her child could get a degree from college and then a master's. Mm -hmm. It meant that Maddie's granddaughters, all three of them could go to college and get master's. So Those were the choices that employment gave her in a world of no choices, in that segregated Jim Crow world of the South, which is so foreign to somebody your age. And and did you grow up in New York? Mm -hmm. And to someone who grew up in New York, that was so not your life, the life that I led.
2: Wow. Well, I also, you know, I feel like there are a lot of people who grew up that way who, are not open to re-examining those relationships or find nothing wrong with it at this stage, you know, or, you know, I mean, people are all, all across the board on this stuff.
1: Exactly. And, you know, I can feel what you just said inside myself, because that's my biggest fear with this book. I just... Figured it out. What about this book scares me so much? And I just figured it out the other day, and you sort of touched on it just now. I'm so afraid that other white Southern women Mm -hmm. my age who grew up like me will think I'm on their team, you know, will think they'll say to me, Oh, we had a Fannie Mae, we had a woman. The even the wording of it, and and they'll think that we're partners in this, and I so want to make sure that I'm not only glorifying Maddie, which I really want to do. I want to. I wanted to write this book. I wanted to tell the world about the wonderfulness of Maddie Culp, but I also. I don't just want to glorify. I also want to vilify. I want to vilify the segregated world that she and I lived in. Do you see what I'm saying about my fear? And I don't want to hurt someone's feelings because they say to me, you know, oh, we had a maid and we treated her like family. I don't want to insult them because that's their context, that's their experience, that's their perception. But I do want to separate myself from that unexamined life. Yep. Ooh, makes me exhausted to think about it. <laughs> I could lie down and take a nap right this minute. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. They offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite
2: you know, this is what, I mean, this is what writers have to do. You have to write the story that you need to tell and whether or not it, the right people read it, or if they don't examine it properly, or if you get criticized in some way for, you know, the book was, you know, it is a, it is a dance, right. To, 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 to artfully describe these relationships and, and your thoughts and feelings about it, uh, about an insti- you know, about a c- cultural sort of institution that was, you know, of a time and place, and you brought almost like a compassionate, objective view of something that you were just born into, but you didn't take for granted. So that's, you know, aside from you being a different person altogether, there's not much more you could really do aside from not be you, which you are,
1: <laughs> do you know what I mean? So, yeah, so if yeah, people are going to be mad
2: at you for being you and being in your family and whatever, like you can't do anything about that.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And I mean, when I teach writing workshops, the line that I always make sure to say is you have to write about what keeps you up at night. Mm-hmm. You and write, i, I Right. I mean, you write out of your obsession. And if the subject doesn't scare you, then I don't think you're doing it right. I mean, you're not revealing, you're not unmasking, you're not laying bare what there is to lay bare. It has to scare you. So I, I take it as part of the package. Yeah, But it doesn't mean that it's not there. Oh, look, we have a guest. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, this is my
2: dog. <laughs> she just barges her way in whenever. Uh, sorry, this is What's Naya. What's your dog's name? Her name is Naya. Oh,
1: what a pretty name. Hey, Naya.
2: <laughs> Wait, so how did you get into writing to begin with? Six books. You know, where did it start? What it, like, what was the first project like? In ter- like, what was that Tell me a little more about your getting into it and how you've ended up here.
1: Well, first of all, I started so late. I really did. And I like to say that because I think it in, it gives other people encouragement to start late. It's okay. You don't have to start writing when you're 20. You can start when you're 40, which is when I started. And I started out in poetry. I loved poetry. I had written poetry since I was in the third grade. That I, I saw myself as a poet from the time I was eight years old on. So then I, after both my parents, both of my parents were going through the process of dying when I was in my thirties. And there was really no template for me to follow there. So I don't know. I say I take to my typewriter instead of taking to my bed, but I could have taken to my bed. It was such a terrible time.
2: I'm so sorry. But I
1: started writing poetry. That was what saved me. So once I turned 40, both of my parents and my husband's mother had died, three of them all together. And I just, I suddenly was free of all that sadness and all that loss. I still felt the loss, which is what, propel my poetry, but I was free from all that suffering. And I started writing poetry and had two books of poetry published. And Zibi, this is the worst strategy. I mean, nobody (laughs) should follow my strategy, because as soon as I started learning something about poetry, then I switched to fiction. And then I had two novels published. And just as I was beginning to learn something about writing fiction, I switched to memoir. And then now... (laughs) this is my third memoir coming up and it's where I'm staying. Our memoir is what I was meant to write. I think at least it's what I like to write. So that's sort of my history, but it it's skewed because it started in my forties rather than in my twenties when it starts for most people.
2: I actually, I was just talking to somebody today. I can't remember. Anyway, I was just talking about how I feel like most people I interview are 40 and up and I- Actually, it was Susan Kane who wrote Bittersweet, and she was asking, "Is that because what I'm? Is that because that's those are the books that I'm drawn to or by authors of that age?" And I was like, "I don't really don't think so." Because thinking about some of these bestseller lists, and obviously there are young people, but I just feel like there's so many more people who are writing in their who start writing in their forties. And I and I was saying, and I believe there's something that gets sort of fully baked by then that it, there's some perspective that's gained. It makes the writing that much richer. Something happens in your 40s. I'm going to write an article like, welcome to your 40s. You might have reading glasses, but on the other hand, you'll probably sell <laughs> your first book.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, the thing about 40s is sort of sacred in my family. I grew up, my whole life, I heard from my mother, the 40s are the best years of your life. All my life, I heard that. I and mean, my, my mother said that too. Did she really? yes. yes. That is so interesting. Well, I mean, I was like a 10-year-old kid waiting to turn 40. I mean, I just just thought, oh, I can't wait to be 40 and go through what my mother is saying. And she's right, because it is a particular time in your life. But I mean, the other thing is my first novel was published when I was 58, you know. And so I think that gives us all hope that we just pursue what we want to pursue. And, and those of us who get to write, we're just lucky because we spend our days doing what we love doing. Yes. How, how great is that? Pretty great. <laughs> and, the, and tell me about your teaching. I teach creative, well, memoir writing workshops, really. And I just teach randomly not on a regular basis, not in a college or university, but there's a wonderful organization in Charlotte called Charlotte Lit. And they're just everything. They're sort of like the loft in Minneapolis, you know, Mm -hmm. it's that type of organization. They just are everything for writers and I teach a lot for them. And that's where I was teaching last night. So, um, and it's always sort of exciting to talk to a room full of people who are writing memoir, you know, there's something sort of shiny about that for me because yeah. we start at a deeper level together, I think.
2: Yes. Well, you're you're already geared up to share as opposed to the boundaries that many people put up right away. Yes, it's <laughs> like not
1: a cocktail party.
2: Yeah. At all. <laughs> <laughs> no. So what's your next memoir about?
1: You writing one already? I am. I'm working on something. And I mean, of course, I have no idea whether it's going to work or not. I have no idea. But talk about writing about what keeps you up at night. I'm writing about turning 80. I'm writing about aging. Mm. I have this theory, and I don't know whether it's original or cliche. I'm not sure which it is. But my theory is that I'm still... The 25-year-old, newly married woman with my adorable, handsome husband trying to decide, can we afford to buy a house or do we rent another apartment? You know, housing, living, where are we going to live is so important at that stage. Well, here I am, 80, and what do all my friends talk about? Where do we live next? Do we move into a retirement community? Do we stay in our homes? Housing is the subject again. So what I do in my book about aging is I'm comparing stages of life Hmm. and showing the parallel between those stages and where I am right now.
2: Oh, I love that.
1: That's So we'll see. I love writing it. I think it... I gave it to my son and daughter to read. And my son just called me yesterday after having read it. He's 49. And he said, Mom, your first memoir was about your sister. Your second memoir was about your husband. Your third memoir was about Maddie. This memoir is about you. Aww. And he said, I think it's your gift to us. So, so I think nice. I think it's worthwhile to write.
2: Oh, I want to read it. It sounds amazing.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.
2: This, this, Dr. Reference, Susan Kane again, this book, Bittersweet, which you should read. It's really interesting about, you know, sorrow and joy and loss and all this like great stuff. And there's a quiz in it. And one of the questions is how many times a day, like, do you get goosebumps at least twice a day? And how much do you agree with that? And originally I, I was like, oh, no, I don't get goosebumps twice a day. Maybe I get them like twice a week. But I was like, since I took the quiz, I'm like, I'm going to keep track. I just got goosebumps twice just from you talking about that book. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. So I've had goosebumps today four
1: times. So anyway. <laughs> I just wrote down bittersweet. I'm going to, has yeah. it already come out? Yes. Yes. I'll check anyway. Yeah, I'll, it I'll did. Get, yeah. yeah. I love books about loss. That's my subject. Yeah. yeah, one of the women in my poetry group used to call me the high priestess of loss. <laughs> but it's it's a subject I'm interested in.
2: Me too, me too. I think we're all on some level, right? Like, I don't know, maybe not we're all. I am though, and you are, see, so that's good.
1: I cannot believe the loss that you and Kyle experienced during COVID. And that just kills me. Every time I see something about that, when you mention it and you showed is her name Susan your mother in law? Mm-hmm. Yep. Susan's. That's how that's the impression it made on me that I remember her name from your post. When oh you gosh. posted her photograph, she was darling.
2: Mm-hmm. She <laughs> was a dream
1: mother in law.
2: Yeah. I didn't even have her as a mother in law for that long because I only met Kyle, you know. We were only married. We've been married now five years. So, yeah, it was only a three year three-year term but, she but that's, was really what,
1: special. that's as long as you need with somebody like that to establish that kind of connection probably
2: oh we didn't even need that line yeah we yeah are. you and her. <laughs> yeah mm-hmm.
1: definitely
2: well judy thank you oh i should ask what's your advice for aspiring authors what's my advice
1: Oh, there's so much that I want to say. I guess it's just Woody Allen's two words, you know, and uh, that's a little tricky too. <laughs> it's <happening in> him. <laughs> but um, show up, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we just have to show up. We just have to do it. We can't wait for an invitation to write. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody is going to say to us, hurry up, Judy, write that book. I'm dying to publish it. I'm dying to review it. I'm dying to, you know, fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. None of us or most of us don't have that invitation waiting out there. So we just have to sort of take the bull by the horns and do it and show up and write and read and read. You're right. How many of your authors have said read? A lot. Mm -hmm. A lot, a lot. When I
2: first started interviewing people, I was like, huh, interesting. I've never really associated my reading with my writing. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm like, oh my gosh, I've learned so much. I've read like all these books. Anyway, thank you for coming on. Thank you for waiting. I'm so excited we finally got to discuss Childhood, although I feel like we barely got to scratch the surface. But I just think it's so neat that now I know this woman, Maddie, really well. I know her, her family. Her life is now like a part of my consciousness and that's the magic of writing. So thank you. That's
1: exactly the magic of writing. Thank you, Zibby. I really, really thank you. This was such a highlight for me. Thank (laughs) you. (laughs) Thank you too. Take care of yourself and feel better.
2: Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.